0: Our text this morning is from the second letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 3, in the first five verses. Hear now the word of the Lord. Finally, brothers, pray for us, that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored, as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one, and we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Thank you. You may be seated. As you may recall, the last time I was I had the privilege to come and share the Word with you, uh, we looked at James 5, verses 7-11, through 11, and the patient perseverance and suffering... James' audience and we should have in waiting for the Lord's return. Today in the Lord's Providence, I'd like for us to look at a text that provides a sequel of sorts to that text in James, even though it was written by a completely different human author and in a completely different context. However, that being said, it was written to a people who knew suffering, persecution, and affliction well, all while waiting for the Lord's return. The church in Thessalonica was established by Paul and Silas during his second their second missionary journey or Paul's second missionary journey rather. We will address the Lord's providence in the circumstances in that church's formation shortly. But suffice it to say that Paul and Silas did not get to stay with them for long as they were sent away by night to Berea due to the persecution of hostile unbelieving Jews. In the city, Paul and Silas, however, were deeply cared for the believers there and they wrote a, Paul wrote a letter to them, which is we have as first Thessalonians, in which he expressed thankfulness to God for them and their faith. He recalled their ministry to them, he shared their desire his desire to see them, uh, the sending of Timothy to strengthen them. Uh, he talked about some aspects about the good report that Timothy brought back talks about some aspects of sanctification he talked about the lord 's return with them, and he talked about the day of the Lord as well. Paul speaks of them receiving the word in much affliction, and yet he speaks of their exemplary walk with the Lord. The Thessalonians knew how to live for the Lord in the midst of persecution and affliction while waiting for the Lord's return. Now Paul, Silas, and Timothy sent a follow-up letter. This is the one we're looking at today. To the Thessalonians, this letter serves to comfort and encourage the Thessalonians in the midst of their persecution and affliction. Uh, Paul informs them that the Lord will visit vengeance on those who afflict them and will give rest to both Paul and his company and them upon our Lord's return. Uh, He also uh, brings comfort by them by correcting a false teaching that was brought into the church. The day of the Lord had already arrived. He corrects that. And uh, he discusses some aspects of the day of the Lord. And he also uh, speaks uh, speaks about to stay away from brothers who would not work. Those who were idle, as some have have put it. Now the return and the day of the Lord are prominent in both the epistles to the Thessalonians. And in our text, uh, as he begins to wrap up the letter, Paul provides the Thessalonians a path upon which they can walk a way forward as they live in light of the Lord's return I find as as believers that we are always in need of the Lord showing us the path ahead While and to walk down while we wait for the Lord's return we tend to forget and lose our way and our faithful Father ever so full of love and compassion to a for us, He always reminds us of the path and He puts us back on that path. Now the path that Paul lays out for the Thessalonians certainly doesn't exhaust everything that could be said about this age and living in the light of Lord's return. But it does, however, speak truly to it. Let's dig into the text today and see how prayers and faithfulness will help the Thessalonians and us for the path ahead until Jesus returns. Let's take a look at it. And let's take a look at the first point that the text brings out. We want to bring out today that we must pray for the Lord's Word to spread rapidly and be glorified through His heralds and for those heralds to be rescued. That's in the first two verses there. Again, we must pray for the Lord's Word to spread rapidly and be glorified through His heralds and for those heralds to be rescued. Rescued. Now I'm using the words uh, spread rapidly and be glorified. Um, our text here, if you have it, the ESV, you see may speed ahead and be honored. I'm using the way that the Legacy Standard Bible, the 95 version of the New American Standard have it. Those words, I, I, I prefer them. I think they bring out uh, what Paul's getting at here. Well, let's start off here. Pray for us. Now Paul instructed the Thessalonians in his previous letter to pray without ceasing. Right, First Thessalonians five verse seventeen, and to pray for them. 1 Thessalonians five twenty two or twenty five rather. Paul now asks the Thessalonians to pray for them again, certainly in a manner consistent with what his previous exhortation was—to pray for them without ceasing. And how does and what does he want them to pray for? Well, he wants them to pray for two things. The first part of the prayer request. It's for the Lord's word to spread rapidly and to be glorified through their ministry to others as it was with them. This is the first part of his prayer request, and it's our prayer today as well. Now, look at how, notice how Paul requests that the Lord's word rapidly spread and be honored. Look at how he wants that to, to be honored and to be spread here. We, and how that applies to us. We must pray that the Lord's Word would spread rapidly and be glorified through His heralds, such as among the Thessalonians. Notice the qualifier there, how He wants them to pray. As it did among the Thessalonians. So, we have to ask ourselves, how did the Gospel and God's Word spread rapidly through the among the Thessalonians? Now, when Paul went to the church in Thessalonica... In his second missionary journey, he reasoned, he went to the synagogue and he reasoned from the scriptures with them for three Sabbaths. And what did he reason? The necessity of Jesus' death and resurrection and the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. That's what he reasoned. So, three Sabbaths. Three Sabbaths. And as a result, some of those in attendance were persuaded. And they join Paul and Silas along with a great multitude of of God-fearing Greeks and, the Bible says, not a few of the leading women. So, three Saturdays, he preaches for three Saturdays and some are converted. Now, in my mind, that seems pretty rapid to me. I mean, it could be maybe one time, but three Saturdays that he gets a group to follow Jesus? That seems pretty rapid to me. And the word spread so rapidly, in fact, that the Jews in that town became jealous. And they took some wicked men from the marketplace. They formed a mob in the city with an uproar. And they attacked Jason's house. They searched for Paul and Silas. And when they couldn't find them, they drugged Jason and some of the believers out to the authorities. And that they said that they, the people who were upsetting the world were there. And that they were telling people that... That they should—they were actually contrary to Caesar's decrees, which was a, which was a slander. And they said that Paul and Silas said that there was another king, Jesus. So they, the gospel said spread so rapidly that those who were against Christ and against his gospel felt threatened, and they felt like they had to intervene to do something. That's how rapidly it spread. And not only did it spread rapidly that way, but it spread rapidly in that they became an example, the Thessalonians did, to the believers in Macedonia and in Caia. You can see that in 1 Thessalonians 1, 7. And the Lord's word and their faith went forth from them. That's the very next verse, 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 8. You can kind of see in Thessalonians, when you read the two together, it really gives you a good picture of the Thessalonian church and, and how and what their life was like. It, it, you can kind of kind of read them together. I would encourage you to do that. So, we learned about how the Gospel and the Word of the Lord spread rapidly. How was it received? Because remember here, it not only says that they should pray that it may speed ahead, but also to be honored or to be glorified. So how was the Gospel glorified? How was God's Word glorified among the Thessalonians? Well, if you go through 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, you'll see a lot of these characteristics jump out. It's pretty amazing. We look at some of them. They became imitators of Paul, Silas, and Timothy and the Lord. That's 1 Thessalonians 1.6. They became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. That's 1 Thessalonians 1, verse seven. The Lord's word went forth and their faith went forth from them. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse eight. They turned from idols to serve the living God. First Thessalonians 1 verse 9, or to serve God. First 1 Thessalonians 1:10, 1, they waited for Jesus from heaven who would to deliver them from the coming wrath. Again, uh, 1, verse 10. First Thessalonians 2:13, they received the word from Paul and Silas as the word of God. What else? They became imitators of the churches in Judea by their suffering. First Thessalonians 2 verse 14. They remembered Paul and Silas kindly and wanted to see them again. 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 6. They received from Paul and Silas how to walk with God and to please him. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 9 and 10. They were taught by God to love one another. And that's exactly what they were doing. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11. They were encouraging and building one another up. 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 3. Their faith was abundantly growing. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 4 They were steadfast and they had faith in the midst of persecution and affliction. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 10 They believed Paul and Silas's testimony. And then maybe the capper of them all. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 13 God chose them to be saved. So you can see it's very evident and the evidence is overwhelming that the Word of the Lord was glorified in the Thessalonians by the way they lived their life. And Paul said, pray like that. How the Word spread rapidly and was glorified among you, pray that that would continue. Pray for that. And in the midst of persecution, great suffering, and great affliction, he wants God's Word to spread to the nations so that they may know and glorify Christ just like the Thessalonians did. We should pray the same thing. We should pray that the Lord's Word spreads rapidly and is glorified, just as it did among our brothers and sisters at the church in Thessalonica. In light of the Lord's coming, brothers and sisters, we need to also be about spreading this Word, going to the highways and the byways, and compelling Christ's lost sheep to come in. Now, because Paul asks that the Lord's word may spread rapidly and be glorified in the midst of great persecution, it doesn't mean that he doesn't care about the persecution that they're undergoing, the Thessalonians and he himself. On the contrary, the second part of the prayer request addresses this. The second part of Paul's prayer request is that he and his company will be rescued from evil men. And why does Paul ask the Thessalonians to pray for this? because not all men have faith in Christ. He has personally experienced the wrath of Gentile unbelievers who are hostile to God, and he also experienced the wrath of those who claim to know and worship Yahweh, the same God he claims to know and worship, but their hearts are far from him. Unbelieving Jews have been dogging Paul's steps, stirring up riots and bringing slanderous accusations to against Him and the other believers because of their jealousy and because of their antipathy towards the Messiah that they've already roundly rejected. Now Paul informs the Thessalonians in chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians that before the coming of the day of the Lord, there will be a great apostasy, a great rebellion. Some use the word a departure. It will be a departure from the Lord. Now indeed, Paul even said that the mystery of lawlessness was already at work. But it is currently being restrained. Then he talks about the coming of the lawless one with all, and with the power of Satan with all th- false signs and wonders. And you'll notice it says there that near, basically it implies that, that the whole, nearly the whole world is going to believe the lie. And they're going to be deluded into believing Satan's lies. And they're going to refuse to love the truth. Therefore, God will send them a strong delusion to make their judgment sure. Notice that this lawlessness, though, although it's restrained, it's already at work. It's present then, and I would argue that it's even present with us today. Paul knew what God's Word said about mankind and in the age in which he lived And he had spiritual eyes to see. He could accurately assess the danger that he was living in and the Thessalonians were living in. And the danger that proclaiming Christ brought. Hence, the second part of his prayer request. Brothers and sisters, we must pray that the Lord's heralds be rescued from wicked and evil men because not all have faith. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse uh, chapter 3 verse 1 that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. He then goes on to describe the people who characterize that age lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Then later on in the letter... In chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 in 2 Timothy, Paul warns Timothy that the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They will turn away from believing the truth and wander off into myths. It's to these people that the Lord's heralds are proclaiming the word. And it's to these people that we are sharing the word. The words delivered or rescued indicate that to those to whom they proclaim are, to say the least, a hostile crowd. And without the Lord's power, no one would have ears to hear, and without the Lord's deliverance, proclaimers would be destroyed. Those who proclaim the Lord's word to a lost and dying world are, in a very real sense, putting their lives in harm's way. And when they proclaim the Gospel, as Paul's ministry can attest, only the Lord can deliver them from those who would want to bring harm. Not only should we pray for those who are actively proclaiming the Lord's Word, both here and throughout the world, but we must also pray for ourselves and for one another to be delivered, to be rescued from evil men and evil women as we proclaim the truth and as we proclaim the faith for not all Have faith. Men, guard yourselves, your wives, your families, that your family would be delivered from wicked and evil men and women. For although some may have a platform, they may have a podcast, they may speak at big evangelical conferences, not all have faith. Sisters in Christ, This applies to you as well. Pray that you and your family would be delivered from wicked and evil women. For although they may have a platform, and they may have a podcast, and they may speak at big evangelical conferences and produce endless Bible studies, not all have faith. Young men, watch yourselves and pray for the Lord to deliver you from wicked and evil men and women for not all have faith you can destroy yourself in many various ways by listening to wicked evil men and women let's be blunt you can destroy yourself by marrying someone like this young women, this would go for you too Or listening to someone who has an appearance of godliness but denies its power. And who wants to basically teach you teachings to suit your own desires. Or by embracing those who reject Christ outright because they love the world. Beware, because not all have faith. Boys and girls, boys and girls, look here for a moment. I want you to pay attention to me. you ever had your mom or dad tell you a story about good and evil and good fighting evil and how evil wants to destroy good and to destroy the hero and how that there are heroes and villains i want to tell you something that's all true that's all very very true that there is a hero that we have and his name is jesus and that he came to rescue villains you and me by living the life that we couldn't live and paying the punishment for us that we deserved, that He rose from the dead, that those villains who would turn from their rebellion and trust in Him would have all their sins forgiven and be welcomed into the hero's home forever. But we have a villain and his name is Satan. Sometimes he's called the devil. And the thing is with the devil is that he hates God and I don't want to scare you, but I want to tell you the truth, he hates you too. And he will send people to lie to you and to tell you that you shouldn't believe in Jesus or follow Jesus or you shouldn't believe what the Bible says that the Bible doesn't mean what it says and they try to tell you that if you follow Jesus that people will mock you and make fun of you and you'll be all alone let me tell you something those are lies Satan sends people who look like they follow Jesus but their heart hasn't been changed Don't listen to them because Satan's lying to them and he's lying to you. You can trust Jesus. He is worthy of your confidence. He always tells the truth. He always keeps his promises. And if you run to him and cling to him, you will be safe. Let's not forget that there are enemies within and without, brothers and sisters, and let's pray accordingly. The good news, though, Church of the Living God, is that it's not up to our strength in our prayer life to protect us from Satan or his servants. We have a faithful Lord who will establish and guard us, and that's our second point. Because the Lord is faithful, we will be established and guarded, and we can have confidence in the Lord about our obedience. That's verses 3 and 4 again. Because the Lord is faithful, we will be established and guarded. And we can have confidence in the Lord about our obedience. Let's look at verses 3 and 4 again. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you. That you are doing and will do the things that we command See how Paul starts off this part of the passage. But the Lord is faithful. Despite the false teachers attempting to upset their faith, despite the enemies that would try to thwart the spreading of God's word and its glorify, glorification, those who don't have faith, but yet who is that the Lord is faithful. It's sort of a play on words there in the text. The Lord does what he says he's going to do. Paul previously encouraged the Thessalonians about this. He encouraged them regarding his salvation, and how he called them to himself. For a moment, we'll just look at a few passages. First Thessalonians 1, verses 4 and 5. For we know, brothers beloved by God, or loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Or consider first Thessalonians five, verse nineteen. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Or consider earlier in this own letter, Second Thessalonians two, verses thirteen through fourteen. But we always we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this He called you through our Gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of this assurance of their election by God to salvation in the Spirit and belief in the truth... The Thessalonians can be assured that He will establish them there in their faith. It's the same with us. Because of the assurance of our election, if, if, we, if you are a believer, by God the salvation, we can be assured that although evil men do not have faith in the attempt to destroy ours, our faithful Lord will establish us. Our Lord will establish us in the faith by continually teaching, admonishing, correcting, and strengthening us through His Word. And our Lord will not leave us defenseless. If He called us to salvation, He will finish the work that He set out to do. He will finish it. And He won't leave us defenseless either. For the faithful Lord will guard us against Satan. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Despite the impression that you may get from the world today, Satan is not someone to ignore or to take lightly. He is our adversary. He is your adversary. And if he could, he would devour you. He sends His servants to do His dirty work, the sons of disobedience in whom He now works, and false apostles, deceitful workmen, alleged or disguised servants of righteousness. And that's 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11 there. And for those whom the Lord does not guard, they are devoured. However, Paul assures the Thessalonians that the Lord will guard them against the devil. And those of us who have been called, who have been chosen to be saved, that this comforting promise applies to us as well. Now, in the same Lord, this is the same Lord who promises to establish and to guard believers. In this same Lord, Paul has confidence that through the Lord's work, that the Thessalonians are currently obeying and will will obey what his company command, and they'll do so in the future. Now, the Thessalonians, they were upset because of that false teaching. They had thought maybe the day of the Lord had already come. But despite that unsettledness that attempted to derail them, the Thessalonians have a remarkable track record, if you just look at the letters, about their obedience, about their hearing the word of the Lord from Paul and Silas, and not just saying that they receive it as word from men, but word from the Lord, and they follow it and they obey it there is a work afoot by Satan to try to distinguish or try to put in order of importance the words of Jesus above the words of the apostles and I tell you that's a wrong headed effort because if the word of God is inspired and it is and the Holy Spirit spoke through men as they were led along by the Holy Spirit if the apostle Paul and Peter writes it the Lord is writing it and what they say to do we should do And that's how the Thessalonians took it as well. And because of the Lord's character, and because of the Lord's faithful work among the Thessalonians, amongst the Thessalonians, Paul was convinced, he was confident, that the Thessalonians would obey what they command. And he was confident that they would keep on obeying in the future. And he previously prayed for this in 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 12 through 13. And in 1 Thessalonians five twenty three through 24 I'll just read that passage to you. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. His confidence in the Lord who is faithful brought Him assurance of their obedience. Both now and in the future. That one, that one ver, uh, verb is present tense and the other is future tense. That's where you get the now and the later there. And it's the same with us today. Brothers and sisters, confidence in the faithful Lord brings assurance of obedience. Say it again. Confidence in the faithful Lord brings assurance of obedience. Now and later. But what does the Scripture say? We could go to... F- Philippians 1 verse 6, which says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to, anybody know the rest? Completion in the day of Jesus Christ, at the day of Jesus Christ. But we could also keep to the Thessalonian epistles. We could go back to the verses that we just read, that the God of peace will sanctify them completely. Brothers and sisters, our Father does not leave us to our own devices and our own willpower to determine if we will walk in His ways. He won't. He does not leave us to agonize or worry about whether or not we will obey Him or not. He doesn't do that. No. He assures us that we will obey. And He does that So by informing us that He will do the work in us. And in turn, we will demonstrate that work in our obedience to Him. When He works in us, we're going to manifest it by obeying Him. He has openly demonstrated throughout history in our lives that He is faithful to do what He said He's going to do. And we can trust Him. Therefore, because He is faithful, we can be confident in Him and we can know for certain that we will obey His Word now and we will obey Him in the future. But how does the Lord develop this obedience? Is it automatic? It isn't. And that leads us to our third point. That we are led into obedience... By the Lord directing our hearts. Again, we are led into obedience by the Lord directing our hearts. And this is verse 5. And let's look at the verse again. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. This verb form, this this mood as it's put, um, is very uncommon in the New Testament. Um, it's called the optative, and a Greek teacher and scholar Dan Wallace he, he gives really good insight into this particular type of optative. He says this type of optative is used used in prayer, utilized in prayer as a quote polite request without necessarily necessarily a hint of doubting in what the response will be. End quote. He later on says that in regards to God's prayer, in, the, in the regards to God. Uh, prayers, quote, meaning often moves into the realm of expectation, end quote. So I bring that out just to say that this is a prayer that you're reading here. So we have, remember, prayers and faithfulness for the path of head. So Paul starts off with a prayer asking, pray for me, pray for us. And now Paul, as he is often does, prays to whom he's writing. And he uses this optative nine times in the Thessalonians' letters. And in each case, he indirectly addresses the Lord and requests something from Him. So Paul, again, is now praying for them. So what's he want? What's he praying for? Well, he wants the Thessalonians to continue to walk with the Lord and in His path. And so he prays that the Lord would direct their hearts. And he prays that the Thessalonians' heart would be directed in two ways. What are they? Well, the first is that their hearts would be directed into God's love. Or to God's love. And second, that their hearts would be directed into Christ's steadfastness. That their hearts would be directed into Christ's steadfastness. Now, the same Dan Wallace and the Net Bible indicate that these parts of speech here, they they call it the plenary genitive. And I know you don't need to know that, but that's just what it is. Um, And I like how the Net Bible... It really describes this part of speech, how it works, and it's really helpful. Basically, what it's saying is, to kind of summarize what it says, is that that if this is that case of that part of speech, that these believers, essentially, are being directed to these things so that it produces in them the things that they're being directed to. So to, to rephrase it or kind of summarize, maybe use part of the words, part of my own, that... if they're directed into God's love, that produces in them love for God. And if they're directed to Christ's steadfastness, the the steadfastness that Christ had, that it will produce in them steadfastness for Christ. You see how that's, that's working there? See how that's working there? So, by being directed into God's love, And to Christ's steadfastness This produces love for God And steadfastness for Christ Again, by being directed into God's love And Christ's steadfastness This produces love for God And steadfastness for Christ God's love produces love for God and for others Both believers and non-believers alike Because God loves His enemies, doesn't He? Although not in the same way He loves His sheep but what does the scripture say? First John four verse nineteen: We love because he first loved us. Or John fourteen verse fifteen: If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Or John fifteen verse twelve: Sorry, Pastor Scott, you can step stepping on your text here soon. Um, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. If we wish to walk in the Lord's ways, we should pray for the Lord to direct our hearts into His love. And this will produce in our hearts a love for God. And a love for God will produce a more obedient and fruitful walk. Now, regarding steadfastness. This is a trait that the Thessalonians displayed, but like all of us, they need that Steadfastness kind of pumped up from time to time, don't they? They need a steadfastness that is perfect and pure and will last to the end. And I only know of one steadfastness that was like that. That there was one steadfastness that was pure and perfect. And that lasted to the end. It was pleasing to God in all it did. And that was Jesus's. And there are so many texts that we could go to. I mean, we go to Hebrews 12, verse 2, where it talks about uh, Christ, uh, basically, how, how uh, well, let's just look at it. That uh, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross and despising the shame and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. But I want us to direct, if you could turn to Isaiah 50, I want us to look at this text. Because this, I'll just be honest, I really like this text. <laughs> and um, I really like this text. And I I really love how it displays the Lord's servant, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Isaiah 50, verses 4 through 9. And the passage transitions to talking about the Lord's servant, who is Jesus. And if you doubt this is talking about Jesus, verse 6 will be a dead giveaway to you that it is. Um, But in any case, Isaiah 50, verses 4 through 9. Read this passage and look at the steadfastness of Jesus. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with the word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. But the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint. And I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Uh, Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. I need steadfastness like this. That no matter what adversary comes, no matter what comes my way, having the steadfastness of Christ and being directed into it, that all of our enemies will fall. If we are in need of steadfastness, brothers and sisters, in order to obey our Lord and to endure to the end, We need look no further than our Lord. I think of older saints who are near the end of their path. And the temptation that must be there to give up. To not endure to the end. Brother or sister, I want to encourage you that Jesus endured to the end. And that he was steadfast. And he looked at the cross. And he looked at the wrath that he was going to suffer. And it did trouble him. And it did. And he did pour out his soul. But in the end, his soul was resolute. And he looked at the cross. With a full view. And he went for it. And he accomplished it. Young men and young women, you are in need of endurance. This life... By the Lord's grace, can be long, and you can lose your way. But the steadfastness of Christ gives you that gives you and gives us that laser sharp focus that you need. His life was to please His Father and to fulfill the work that God has gave Him to do. If we want to be inspired, if we want direction on how to be steadfast, there is no better person than the Son of God Himself. And the life and the ministry that he lived in the in the gospels. Now to glorify the Lord's word, let's make this prayer our own today. As the world grows ever more darker, as the mystery of lawlessness reveals those who are truly not of us and is at work today. There is a great need for the Lord's work to be glorified. And there is a great need for the Lord's word to be spread. The world and the professing Christianity need to see the church's heart directed towards God's love and Christ's steadfastness. They need to see this. So that love for Christ and steadfastness of Christ can clearly be demonstrated. So that the world will see the glory of Christ. That He is worthy of worship. And make no mistake, Christ can use that to bring His lost sheep into the fold. So Rockport, I ask you, why not us? Why not Rockport Baptist Church? Why can't this prayer be our prayer? That we would say, Lord, direct us more into Your love. Let us see its depths and its holiness and its beauty and its its boundless limits and help us to walk in that. Or we pray, Christ, show us Your steadfastness that no matter what distraction the enemy tried to send, no matter how many people tried to set a trap for You, that You were faithful to the end that you never lost sight of the goal. And make me like that. Make us like that. So what have we seen today? We've seen that while we wait for the Lord's return, we must pray for the Lord's Word to spread rapidly and be glorified through His heralds. And for those heralds and us to be rescued because... Not all have faith. We've also seen that that the Lord is faithful and that we will be established and guarded and we can have confidence in the Lord about obedience and that we are led into obedience by the Lord directing our hearts. So we should pray for this. Let's walk the path that the Lord has put in front of us, that He set before us, and for many more to trust in Him and to be brought home and that the Lord's Word would be spread and glorified. While we walk this path, we can have confidence that the Lord will work in us. And it's been so helpful to learn in my own life that you work from your assurance. You obey out of your assurance. That because you have the assurance, therefore you have the strength that you need To go out and do what the Lord tells you to do. And to live the way the Lord wants you to live. And when we fail, that's not an excuse for us to quit. It's to say, Lord, I repent. Lord, forgive me. Encourage me. We get up. And with God's grace and the help of our brothers and sisters, we get going again. Let's walk this path confidently and expectantly. For Christ's return is at hand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this morning. We thank You for Your Word. I pray that You would put it deep into our hearts now that we can leave confidently that You will complete the work that You've promised You'll do in us. We pray, Father, that Your Word would spread rapidly and be glorified because there are many who need to be called home. Direct us into Your love, Father, into Christ's steadfastness that we may obey You more. Assure us of Your love. Assure us of the faith that You will complete the work that You have said You will do. And it's all by Your gracious Gospel that we can do all this and even come to You. It's by the work of Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.